All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's good to see you. I want to be completely honest with you. My battery levels are blinking right now. Anyone ever have that at all? Well, you're just kind of like, whew, all right. Now, did I hear a bunch of no's? Okay, are you here? Okay, all right. If you have your, well, you don't, I hope you have your copies of God's Word, but we're going to be digging into Acts chapter 20 again, and there's a lot of neat little details that we didn't have time to get to uh, this morning and Wednesday. So I guess my question to you is the same as always. Let's, in fact, let's advance that slide. Here's, here's the whole text. We'll summarize it for when we dig into it a little bit deeper, but here's, here's 16 verses. What are some things that uh, stood out to you? Observations. Just raise your hands and they'll they will uh, run a mic to you, and then those who are joining us online can, can hear the questions and thoughts as well. Just so you know, I have about, oh, okay, we have right here with Mr. Schaefer, he's got his, or right over there, Jared, right, oh, I said Jared, I'm sorry, Kyle, thank you, Kyle Schaefer. I mentioned your cool brother instead, I'm sorry, Kyle, go ahead. Now I, I don't even know if I can say anything now. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you very much. Now, go ahead, brother. Um, just when you mentioned that, like, they'd been working all day, and that it just kind of hit me, like, for them, church wasn't just something that they, it was, like, part of their routine. Like, they were going out of their way, part of their, like, it wasn't in their schedule normally before this. Yeah. And then they were making it a priority. It wasn't just, oh, well, I feel like going today, mm-hmm. and then next week, well, we'll see how I'm feeling, or I might stay home and, you know, call it good. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly was not conveniently baked into the cultural schedule of the week. That is, that is for certain. It's not like we have it today where we have primarily, a lot of times we have Saturday and Sunday off. This was a work day and it was important to them. Very good. Any, any other observations and thoughts? We have Laura over here. Um, our goal is to be the faithful, available, teachable Christian, but I know that sometimes um, in my own life, you know, you slip back into the thin, all the other stuff. You know, it tends, sometimes that happens in seasons of life. It's important to try to get back to that, though. Amen. Amen. Faithful, available, and teachable. We have a hand over here and a hand over here. Two hands in a row. This is good news, because I only have about seven minutes of prepared. Now I'm teasing. How, How about you, my friend? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I thought it was interesting how this Eutychus was brought back to life, mm-hmm. but yet there is no response in here from the crowd except that they were greatly comforted. So that made me think maybe this was a commonplace thing at church that resurrections happened or healings were still happening a lot, and people were like, yeah, I'm tired from work, but I'm going to church. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. And also, Luke was a physician, so he had to know that Eutychus yeah. was dead. It wasn't just a, he's unconscious. So. Right. As likely the only practicing physician there, um, you know, a lot of times in uh, some of the reading I did, people would say, well, he appeared to be dead, you know, that he was picked up dead and stuff like that. So it appeared, but, but Luke was able to, you know, revive him or resuscitate him. And, I, and, and you hit it right on the nail right on the head when, you know, he's a doctor. He's very capable. In fact, that's one of the easiest prognosis a doctor can give is, yeah, he's dead. So, um, excellent point. Over here. 
just piggybacking off what he said is those guys had to get up in the morning <laughs> or they stayed up all night and then they had to go to work the next day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we're actually going to kind of break into that a little bit tonight. We have um, Emily up here, Emily Riley, who we pray for daily because of Michael Riley. <laughs> we got Emily. Well, as, as a physician, are you able to diagnose when someone's dead? Most of the time. Most All right, time. the floor is yours. It can be tricky. Uh, and uh, actually just wanted to say that, uh, gosh, I can relate to his spirit of going into great detail. Kindred spirits. Kindred spirits. Okay. Uh, and one of the details that we didn't really expand on. Can you, can you hold that up so we can the hear The fact you? that the lights were on okay. through midnight means that these people were visible to the rest of the community. Uh, and, the, and so they had some accountability to the rest of the community. Yeah. Uh, whether they liked it or not, they now are a testimony. Yeah. Yeah, whether they like it or not, them gathering together on a Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the evening, in a third story, likely wealthy home, um, very visible. Very, it was not an underground church by any means. Yeah, excellent. Any other observations, thoughts? Any, I saw, um, yes, over here we have Paul. Um, if there was a resurrection from the dead in a modern service, uh, you wouldn't just go on because it's striking how Paul said he's alive, he goes down, comes back up, and it's like they don't pause. Mm-hmm. They just continue their service. And I think in, and I've not been part of miracle healing services. Mm-hmm. I know God does them, and I'm certain that they, God leads people to lay their hands on, and that happens. But it's like there's no pause. Mm-hmm. Someone died. You fell out the window. They stop, go down, resurrect them pray and he, he's alive and then they just go right back up mm-hmm. and go at it they continue yeah and and to piggyback off the intent of what you're saying oh that's right you get that if anything recharges your batteries to continue the worship service or or the study of god's word certainly it is the resurrection of someone who's dead what a beautiful picture of christ is bringing words of life to those who are dead. That's a beautiful picture there as well. Any other thoughts, observations? Okay, we have one right here. Is it by Gloria? Mary. Mary. Uh, Mary, I knew that. I know you. But when I see you, it's just, it's Gloria. Um, Now, my thought is that the Bible is full of so many amazing, amazing stories. And I hope when we get to heaven that there will be reruns, that we can watch these things that happen, that we've only got Mm -hmm. the words here, because this is one story that I'd love to see. And I think when that young man died, there must have been a huge ruckus, Mm -hmm. and there must have been more than just a quick little entry in Luke's diary about it. And uh, so the reruns I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I'm also looking to the, forward to the premieres as well. 
You know, because scripture is very condensed, you know, and it says, and he was performing many, many miracles and performing many extraordinary. And we get up in heaven and they go, well, that ain't nothing. You should have been there Tuesday, you know, and just to hear all those things, because we know that God's word does not contain all that happened. And so, um, all right, we have a couple. We have um, Richard and then we have Matt Sally in the back. We'll start with Richard. Uh, yes, this is one of the verse, or one of the passages that I use along with when Paul was struck by the asp and the reaction that they had, the reaction that these would have had. They were hearing something new. They were being taught something new. And I'm sure that after that, they paid attention. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Good point. And then we have Matt Sally in the back. Yeah, I was just thinking. Ooh. Yeah, Matt, if you could just. Take it down and down a little bit. I watched a a little bit of. (laughs) You watched the lions? Is that what you said? Just a hair bit of it. Okay. My stomach. Talk about the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. I was just thinking about Paul, um, how he went until late in the evening in the service, and I always think about the apostles, how they served the Lord constantly, and the people that supported them always thought how exhausting it must have been for the apostles to keep serving the Lord time and time and how Paul said, you know, the Lord's grace is sufficient. And I'm going to throw this out there. Um, we need to be praying for our pastor. We really do. He's, he's a, he's a godly man. Yeah. I'm not going to make any comment on that, but thank you for your compliment. Do you have something you want to say, Michelle? Because I'm seeing some... No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> your, your face was priceless. That was good. That was good. Anyone else? Thoughts, observations? All right, I see Steve polling over there. I enjoy this. This is good. Uh, I have this hobby horse that I've been riding for a while. Huh. It's about a mindset. Um, which is a secular book I read, and then I keep seeing parts of that secular book in Scripture, uh, particularly where it comes to repentance. Um, and then I, I, I saw that today in your acronyms, Fat and Thin, uh, where the, uh, the teachable is contrasted with the know-it-all. Uh, the Pharisees were the least repentant people in the New Testament, and they were all know-it-alls. And our Savior says, suffer the little children to come unto me, which means allow them to come to me. Uh, specifically because the children, if anything, are, are teachable. And so what I, what, I, what I see in, I guess it was in, in, your, in your acronyms, uh, was, was my hobby horse, uh, which is uh, repentance is, is, is not a one and done. It's, a, it's something we're always doing as, as we're getting better and as we're learning better what God expects of us and how to accomplish that. So um, I really uh, appreciated the, the contrast between being teachable and being Mr. Know-it-all. So, so I'll, I'll let it go at that. Yeah, I, I had a person come up to me Wednesday and said, you know, you're know-it-all. Um, I know you're trying to fit an N word in there, but we could just say narcissistic. And I thought, well, that's a good word as well. You know, ow, I just hurt myself. Anyone else? Oh, we got Paul right here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. At the very end where you're talking about legacy, which 
I'm not sure it fits this passage, but it sure was great to finish your your uh, your message. You know what what kind of a legacy we're we leaving? Legacy for us or legacy for the Lord? And so I just thought that was awesome. This whole fat thing, thin thing, you know, our perspective. What's our purpose in life as a believer? Well, we want to leave something. What do we want to leave? Mm-hmm. People think great of us, or people think great of of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so that that to me really. That really struck me. Awesome. Thanks. No, thank you. Anyone else? Observations, applications, frustrations, contemplations, salutations, manipulations. Those are the only words I can think of. All right, here we go. Let's uh, condense this. Let's let's hit the page here, and um, I believe it. I don't know if it's going to highlight right away. Um, Because I don't remember. Yeah, there it is on the first day of the week. All right, we're going to pick up in verse 7 and go through verse 12 here and just dig a little bit deeper. On the first day of the week, now as we mentioned this morning, all right, this is the earliest reference to the custom of the church gathering on the first day of the week, i.e. Sunday. Now, this is going to be getting a little bit into the weeds, but since that's what the intent is this evening, to dig deeper and get into the weeds, there's discussion about whether, rather than, um, um, excuse me, <clears throat> I can clear my throat. There's some discussion as to when exactly does this mean. Now, what we do know for sure is this, is that it is evening. We see that in the words, until, he preached until midnight, and also that there were lamps in the room. I think we can highlight those as well. There it is, until midnight, and um, lamps upstairs in the room. Now, there's no disagreement in the time of day, right? It's nighttime. However, there seems to be some disagreement on the reckoning of how we got here. And by reckoning, reckoning I mean, is Luke using the Jewish days for distinguish? When, when did the Jewish day end in the Jewish reckoning? What's that? That's right. So when the, when the sun goes down, six o'clock. So when you see that there, that's more of a Jewish time. Um, however, some are wondering whether or not... Uh, he used the Roman method, i.e., roughly midnight was the start of the new day. So are we actually looking here at Sunday night, or are we looking at Saturday night, based on Jewish or Roman reckoning? The vast majority of scholars believe that Luke is uh, using the Roman method of determining days. Luke seems to follow the Roman method almost universally and consistently through the book of Acts. And what adds to... um, to looking at it from a Roman method, is that they are worshiping in the evening. If this were a Saturday, Sabbath-type evening, the the day would have been largely available to them. So the vast majority of scholars uh, believe that um, we're looking at a Sunday night here in the ancient world um, because they are meeting in the evening. And from prior studies, we understand that the workday really had three sections into it. It was 7 to 11, they would work, 11 to 4, they would rest, and then 4 to 9, they would work, all right? So that's why we see 9 to about midnight at this time. It's likely around 9 p.m. or later when this meeting starts, um, but the point remains the same. Here's here, all that long trail to get to the same point in the trail, and it is this. Whether it's the Jewish way of reckoning or the Roman, I think it leans towards the Roman, By both standards, it is no longer the Sabbath. By both standards, we are into Sunday. 
Now, I want to use this as a jump pad to talk about something that came up a lot in my reading. And also, frankly, it came up a lot in my upbringing. All right? When I was a kid, I was told growing up that Sunday was the new Sabbath. Anyone? Sunday was the new Sabbath. And as Christians, we, we, are, we should feel required or, or, what's another word for required? We should feel obligated. Yeah, that's a good word. I like that word. We should feel obligated to fulfill Sabbath intentions on Sunday now. Now, never mind that nowhere is that in Scripture. There's a lot of covenant and reforms trappings in that statement. I was told that when I was younger, we were not allowed to play, we were not allowed to work, we weren't even allowed to go out to eat, because if you went out to eat on Sunday, that would cause someone else to what? Work, and then you are guilty of just as much a violation of the new Sunday Sabbath requirements. As though we almost purposely ignored the teaching of Paul in Romans chapter 14. But I did find that even though we weren't allowed to do those things, my parents were allowed to bring us to Arby's on Sunday afternoon. Apparently that was a special dispensation. And he could feed the entire family roast beef sandwiches, sometimes if we were good, with cheddar, all right, for less than $13. Those were the days, folks. He would roll the window down. But for the most part, Sunday Sabbath requirement meant couldn't go out to eat. It would cause other people to work. In fact, Don Vogel, if you could pay attention. Um, I'm just joking. I caused you there. Better yet, how about... Test, test. Sunday papers, when were they sold? My dad used to go <laughs> oh, down. Oh, it's going to be long. My father, Buckle off, all right? My dad used to go downtown on Saturday night because the Grand Rapids Press went on sale at 11 o'clock p.m. Saturday night so that all the religious people could buy their Sunday paper on Saturday night so it could be read on Sunday. Yeah. I kid you not, we waited in line to buy the paper. Because can't buy it on Sunday. You could read it on Sunday, but you, you could read it on it. Sunday. Okay. I love that story. So what I'd like to do right now is since we're talking about Sunday and not Sabbath, is just walk through real quickly why the Sabbath is no longer required for us to observe the same way as it was then. And that, by the way, Sunday is not its theological replacement. All right? First thing I want to highlight here is number one, Sabbath, rest, by the way, does demonstrate the order in God's creation. It demonstrates by God in creation that we need to find times of rest and worship. But above and beyond that, Sabbath was given to Israel as a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. <clears throat> You'll find that in Ezekiel 31, 16 through 17 or Exodus, sorry, and Ezekiel 20, verse 12, and other parts of Scripture as well. It was a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Since Christians are under a new covenant, we actually remembered and observed that covenant this morning. What is the, the new covenant is in Christ's what? Blood, body and blood. We are no longer required to observe the Mosaic Covenant. Number two, there is not a single command in all of the New Testament for Christians to observe Sabbath rest anymore, or that Sunday is its synonymous replacement. 
Now, of the Ten Commandments, nine of the Ten Commandments are reaffirmed in Scripture. One of the Ten Commandments is not. Does anyone, based on the context, want to guess which of the Ten Commandments is not reaffirmed? Talk to me. The Sabbath. Paul never instructed in all of the teachings of his epistles and his letters to observe the Sabbath like it was a Sunday. Colossians chapter 2, number 3, Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 17, tells us that the Sabbath pointed to the spiritual rest that Christ would bring when he comes. Sabbath was a shadow of what Christ would bring in reality, spiritual rest, the forgiveness of sins. And now that Christ has come and Sabbath is no longer needed, now that the real thing has come, the shadow is no longer necessary. The fourth one, I believe, is Paul actually rebukes the Galatians for observing days as more special than others, that they would observe special days, in fact, just like the Sabbath. He rebukes them. In number five, in Romans chapter 14, verse five, it says that observing the Sabbath or frankly any other day of the week is a matter of personal preference, not political um, or policy. Number six, the early church worshipped on Sunday. The early church worshipped on Sunday, which, finished the statement, was a what kind of day? Got down around nine. What kind of day? They worked all day in this culture. The early church worshipped on Sunday, which was a work day. Christians worked on Sunday, i.e. the servant boy and many others, and then worshipped afterwards. Here we see it in the text. Clearly, not nearly the Sabbath, like some would like us to believe, is synonymous for day. Now, I want to be clear. There is a principle here. While Sunday is not the new Sabbath, and the Sabbath has been fulfilled by Christ, we are commanded by God, through the inspiration of Paul's teaching in the New Testament, we are commanded to gather together regularly. We are commanded to gather together regularly, to set time aside for rest and for worship. The early church did this on Sunday because that is the day that the Lord resurrected from the grave. So while we are under the command of God to worship, we are commanded by God to worship in church community, gathered around the teaching of God's word, in submission to Christ and one another, Philippians chapter 2, as a pillar of truth to the world. So we see that there. Now, I want to touch on something that I think is a little bit fun. How many here know the word, and I didn't this week, so I'm not trying to to flash my brilliance here by any way. In fact, I'm going to reveal my ignorance here. How many here have ever heard the word sleuths before? Not sloths, but sleuths. What does it mean? Talk to me. Detective work. I didn't know that. You know what I do know? I typed the word sleuth into my word. Barbara, are you here? She's downstairs, kind of a thin, thin believer. Um, now I lost my train of thought. I typed the word sleuth into my Word document. You want to know what advertisement pulled up on my internet? A movie by the name Sleuths popped up. I just thought you'd want to know that. Apparently they're tracking my sermons at this time. And I've got to be very careful what I write about. Here's what I want to get to. Biblical sleuths or detectives think they know the house in Tros where Paul was teaching and the boy fell asleep. Now, this is not going to change your life. This is just hermeneutical candy, 
Okay, that's all it is. Maybe a little bit of application at the end, but it's okay to have dessert once in a while, all right? In fact, I would contend that it's good to have dessert once in a while. So here we go. They believe they have found where this boy fell asleep and Paul was teaching. Kent Hughes argues that this is almost with certainty Paul's first contact with the infant church in Tros. Now by first contact, I mean with the church in Tros. We know in Acts chapter 16 he was in Tros. Tros is brought up four times in the New Testament. The first time, I believe, in Acts chapter 16. But he was not there with the infant church in Acts 16. He was, he was beginning his missionary journeys. While Paul is here in Acts 16, he was not with the fledging church. And while there is some disagreement with scholars on this point, many of them believe that he will not be back after this time. Now, Catholicism would disagree with that, but a lot of Protestantism say this might be his very last time. Next, it was a larger and longer gathering than usual because Paul is a special guest for the very first time. Now, allow me to layer this candy and there will be a purpose for it. So this is his first time with the church. It is a larger, and we know for sure it is a longer gathering. We're talking 9 to midnight, and then midnight to the daybreak of dawn. Now add the words, he was in an upstairs room where they were gathered together. All right, And we can eliminate all buildings under three stories in the city of Tros during this time period. Because we have the words found in the text that they were on the third floor. There it is, highlighted. We're doing some sleuthing work here. Now you may say, Pastor, all that add up adds up to a big fat nothing. And I would agree with you, but Paul's not done writing. In fact, he's going to write a lot of the New Testament. Paul gives us more detail when he writes Timothy in the book 2 Timothy. All right. Now remember, if this is Paul's first time in Tros with the church, we do know that he is with Timothy at this time. In fact, earlier than verse 7, but in chapter 20, it says, And Timothy and a whole list of other men who were representatives of the Gentile churches to bring their love offering for the Jerusalem church, Timothy had gone ahead and was waiting for Paul in Tros. So we know Timothy is in this room. They're at least there. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to him, he writes to him about Tros, about their time together and there, which was likely his first time with the fledging church and possibly his last time. And with that in mind, I want you to listen to an interesting detail that, that Paul wrote to Timothy when they gathered together in Tros with the church in the upper room of, of that third story. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, and I want to read it up here. It says this, Hey, Timothy, when you come... Bring the overcoat which I left in Tros with carpus and the books and especially the, the parchments I left there as well. So now we get to do a little bit more detective work here. So when we add this all up, historically, grammatically, and hermeneutically within the text, Paul was in Tros for the very first time with the fledging church, teaching through the night with Timothy there. And he is asking that they bring his coat and all of his preaching and teaching notes that he left there, which, by the way, went till daybreak, and he gives the name of the homeowner, Carpus. I love the intimacy that scriptures can bring us if we pay attention. Now, we do not know what I'm about to say for sure, but this 
picture up here is from the ancient city of Tros. And it is believed that this is one of the few private residencies that was at least three stories high from a wealthy man that lived in Tros. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's really cool. And if you use your imagination, all right, your sanctified imagination, which I know is another hobby horse for Steve Poling, all right, if you use your imagination, you look closely at the ground there, you might even begin to see the body print of that, let's click that, all right, the body print of that boy in Tros. Pretty good, huh, Paul? He did hit hard. He fell asleep hard. If you look even closer, I don't have an animation for this. You can see Paul stretching out over the servant boy like Elijah and Elisha did when they raised, bringing him back to life. Now you may say, yeah, okay, that's interesting, but it is a lot like candy. Interesting, but I'm not sure there's a lot of nutritional value to it. Here's what I want to grab here. Thousands of Jews are abandoning Sabbath worship for Resurrection Sunday, a work day. Paul is dedicating his life to teach Jesus, who, by the way, he once persecuted and hated. After the resurrection of Jesus, not a single convert to Christianity in the first century is ever recorded to denouncing their faith when persecuted and tortured. They, they all are dying for their faith of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Countless people are losing their families, their culture, their sacred customs, their faith, their social security, and they are being put to death and persecuted. Is it for a lie? I say no. They saw amazing things. And they were willing to abandon it all because of it. My friends, the Bible must be believed and received by faith. But that doesn't mean there is no evidence to its authenticity that we can observe and appreciate. Final thought here, and I'm going to be asking you a question. I'm going to be asking you to interpret a sentence, all right? So get, get the brain, pull the cord, get the blue smoke rolling, and let's fine-tune. Here we go. Final thought. Paul is teaching a ton all through this passage. He exhorted them. He exhorted them. He's talking to them. He's, he's, he's going till midnight, on and on and on. Notice his audience would have been filled with many age groups, demographics, cultures, economic status, the church was never homogenous. You understand what I mean by that? It, it astounds me the more I read the Word of God and the more I learn from it how stupid I am. For the, some of the positions I held, things that I would break fellowship over, judgments I would make. Can you imagine what it's like to sit down with a Samaritan believer, half Jew, with a Hebrew Jew? Not to mention those pathetic Hellenistic Jews. Don't get me started on those Gentiles. Or that Roman guard. Or that slave girl. Or that woman from Asia. They had vast different experiences and positions and thoughts. What unified them? That they all agreed on the peripheral trappings of everything? No. Jesus Christ. The gospel. That's what unifies the church, by the way. It's not whether or not we all agree on music or Bible versions or where the pin of the rapture goes on the seven-foot chart. 
the gospel. I love this here. Notice the audience would have been filled with many age groups, demographics, cultures, economic status, different places in their journey with Christ. They're eating this up that Paul is teaching. They're getting fat. We know for sure that a tween servant boy listening on a windowsill is mesmerized by the teaching of Paul till at least midnight when he couldn't stay awake anymore. Here's what I want to touch on. I love this statement. Paul fed the sheep as well as the giraffes. That's my question. Rewrite that for me. What does it mean? Paul fed the sheep as well as the giraffes. Talk to me. What comes to mind? Matt, what do you got? Nice and loud. Okay. He, he was both evangelizing and discipling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Church needs to hear the gospel all the time. Anything else? Sheep and the giraffes. What comes to mind? People who are grounded, people have their heads in the clouds. Nice. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to feed sheep and giraffes at the same time. What else comes to your mind? Yes, my friend. Beautiful. In fact, I'm going to take that answer and I'm going to, I'm going to create two from it not only is he teaching the young tween boys and the older people all right but he's also teaching the young in christ i.e i'm talking maturity in christ knowledge of the word of god sanctification desire for christ and he's teaching the the mature in christ at the same time you could say he's feeding um prime rib at the same time putting in easy easy bites for those who are just starting to cut their teeth anything else come to mind from that here's what i want to bring up it is the responsibility of the teacher to make sure that we teach in a way that everyone can eat without compromising the truths of its depths Paul is engaging enough and is teaching in such a way that a tween boy is listening until midnight as Paul exhorts and teaches the church elders at the same time. That is a wide spectrum. And it's something a a speaker deals with every time he gets up here. So if I could exhort you on some things... I wish it was more like this or more like that. Maybe, maybe it needs to be a little bit of both so that all can eat. So with that being said, we'll peel back this busyness. And we'll let, we'll let the text speak. And all, after all the persecution that happened earlier to this, Paul sent for his disciples because even though he's the one being persecuted, he still has a heart for others. And when he had sent for them, he feeds them and he makes them fat and he encourages and exhorts them. And then he takes his leave and he goes to Macedonia. When he had gone through the regions and given them much exhortation and encouragement because that's the primary responsibility of Pastor Paul during this time to feed the flock, verse 3. And he spent three months there and then, well... 
You know what happens. Another plot is given, and so they set sail, and they return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by all of these men who have brought their offerings from their Gentile churches in Asia. Verse 6, and he sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and he reached Tros, where, by the way, Timothy is waiting for him. And it took him five days instead of two days this time. And we stayed there for seven days as was our custom on Sunday, the day of the resurrection. We were gathered together to break bread, to have fellowship, to have communion. Paul began talking again. He's teaching. He's going to leave the next day. He may never see them again. And he prolonged his message until midnight. And there was lamps in the room. Man, they were consuming the air. And everyone was packed in there. And there was a young man by the name of Lucky sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And Paul just kept on talking. And Lucky was overcome with sleep, and he fell down to the third floor, and he was dead. And Paul went down and fell upon them like Elijah. And after embracing him, he says, I'm a physician, just relax, all right? Don't be troubled. He's not dead. I just brought his life back through the power of, the, of, of Jesus Christ to authenticate that what I am teaching you is from him. So he went back up there and he bought a lot of time and attention and a lot of excitement. He talked to them until daybreak and then he left. And they took the boy away and were greatly comforted. And if there's one thing we see here is Paul teaches the sheep and the drafts at the same time. Because he's not interested in leaving a monument to himself, but really fat believers that are a monument to Jesus Christ. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Help us to be more than just students. Start with me. Thank you for this church family. Bless them, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, my church family. Have a wonderful night. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see you next week.